You're listening to the Irish Times. On Saturday night, Pat, on my way to Croke Park for the final replay, I sent somebody a text saying, I have a bomb in my bag. If this bloody game is a draw and there's, they call another replay, consider this my confession when they're <laughs> sifting through the rubble in the coming days. I could not take another game in this GAA season. You want the year to be over, that's I it. I wanted it? it to be over. And yeah, and so it was over and uh, the Dubs have won their five in a row. And yesterday, they completed three in a row in the women's football. Uh, and I decided instead of our normal sort of knockabout intro here today, I decided we'd get right into it. And so we have Joanne O'Reardon on the line. How are you, Joanne? I'm not too bad, how are you? And we have Sean Moran in studio, uh, who was there in a personal capacity, I guess. As a, I, I was a, there with my daughters, yeah. Precise. Getting rained on. Getting rained That's on. That's the thanks I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joanne, um, how much... Uh, so so let, let us tell the people the scoreline, which I presume most people know, 2-3 to Dublin, uh, four points to Galway. How much of it uh, can we put down to uh, the conditions and how much of it was down to it just being a bad old game. Um, you know, it's really funny. I literally like was doing notes obviously yesterday, and I uh, the only note that I have is that this was the lowest scoring ladies football final since 2003, and that was Mayo and Dublin. So clearly, it's Connacht and Dublin yes. who are doing this to us. <laughs> um, so I think there should be a new rule that Connacht teams aren't allowed in all Ireland final uh, along with Dublin. Essentially, uh, <laughs> you you want Cork to have a bye every year, Joanne. Exactly, that's exactly. Saying. That's okay. that's exactly where we're coming from. But I mean, Cork give you exciting games, so you know, let's not. <laughs> Um, I suppose really yeah the conditions you know were bad um, the pitch was was greasy I suppose as you could find you know um, a few people were texting me alright saying that they had games across Dublin and like little camogie games and that they were slipping and sliding all over the place but uh, yeah no I suppose you could put it down to conditions but I think at the end of the day you could say yes it was a bad game because there was no scores and then you could commend possibly a defensive masterclass you know from Dublin where they shut down everything even Galway at the start to be honest I'd, I'd love to know what the first kind of possession stats were the first 20 minutes were because Galway were actually all over Dublin and completely on top um, possession wise but they just they literally just couldn't break through either they had no creativity and imagination to kind of break through the lines or they just simply say look you know offense wins games defense wins championships kind of vibe we'll hold them out if they can't beat us if uh, they possibly don't score and at the end of the day once Sinead Goldrick had broken through and got that goal it was just gone from Galway <laughs> it, was, it really kind of felt like that Sean because like, like the first score didn't come for 25 minutes or so and and then when Sinead Goldrick kind of got her goal you were kind of going all right well that that's worth more than three points today. Like a goal, a goal is nearly worth six points. Absolutely, that's the very comment I made. Like three, a three-point lead in this match kind of feels substantial. And also at half time, I was making the point that on Galway's scoring rate, that Dublin already had it. You know, one point a half. Yeah. So uh, I think, in fairness to the players, the day w- was shockingly bad because mm. it wasn't. It wasn't torrential the rain, but it was enough to make the pitch and the ball a nightmare. It was what my father would call that a wet rain. Yeah, it was. That's what it was. It was. And, and you know, it reminded me of the start of the Dublin men's five in a row, the 2015 final against Kerry, yeah. which was similar yeah. weather, persistent drizzle. 12, 12 drizzle, points to nine. 12 yeah. points to nine. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the conditions have a big say yeah. in, in, in low scoring because the it's so hard to keep your, 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 your footing and kicking is really difficult yeah. uh, as well but I mean as, as Joanne said Galway started really strongly and for a team that 
were considerable underdogs going mm. into this. They had plenty, plenty of chances and then they just didn't take them. And the, the irony was then that the point they did get by halftime was a super point. Um, That's right, really yeah. was, you know, kind of kicked out from under the attention, close attentions of a defender and they'd been missing far more easy chances all the way through. But I thought Galway defended really well too. They really mm. pushed Dublin out to the out to the, the fringes made it hard for them to get in and also made it hard for Dublin to, to counterattack. That that was Dublin's big chance was to mm. get in behind the press mm. and they didn't really manage to do it mm. that often. But you'd have to say, yeah, when a goal goes in in that sort of a match to set up a half time lead of a goal to a point. It, it feels significant. Joanne, I was watching the Sunday game last night and they, they managed to use the phrase intriguing contest. <laughs> it's um, like a bingo card, isn't I, it? You're yeah. just taking it off as you go along. I think they used it five or six times, actually, <laughs> uh, which was their way of kind of getting around. Yeah, there wasn't an awful lot for us to report on here. But um, one, of the, one of the people who turned out to be a real game breaker for Dublin was Lindsay Davey. She sort of she consistently made breaks that, that led to scores when it looked like there was no way through. Because in fairness, the Galway defence had been performing brilliantly for most of the match. Yeah. Yeah, no, in fairness, like the Galway defence kind of were holding up. But I did think, you know, Lindsay Davey was a standout performer. Like, I mean, she was literally throwing herself into people and onto balls whenever she possibly could. And, you know, Mick Bowen said kind of afterwards in his kind of after press conference, like, you know, Lindsay's 30 years of age. You know, she's been going for a strong 14 years. So a game like that, you know, I'd say she probably looked at it and said, you know, if you're not going to get down on this, I'm going to get down on it. And she's a firefighter as well. And I think it just kind of showed, like, I mean, she was pushing people out the way in a good way. You know, she was hopping off. People. There was, I think, one gif um, on Twitter of Carla Rowe shouldering one of the Godway players, and it just looked like that game. You know, if you didn't actually throw yourself into it, you were just going to be a passenger, you know, throughout the whole thing. And you saw it as well, even with the likes of, you know, Neve McAvoy. You know, she was absolutely flying all year. She was a total playmaker and a creative role, and it just wasn't the conditions for her. But it was a condition for the likes of Lindsay Daisy, Lindsay Davy, sorry, um, where you're just throwing yourself into it, hoping for the best. Um, and she, you know, came out on top. Even the likes of Siobhan McGrath as well. I thought she was okay you know, just because, as I said, they were just they were just going for it. I mean, everything kind of goes out the window. If you hit a player, you hit a player. So be it. It's too wet, you know, for it to be an excuse anymore. Lindsay Davy really is uh, a big game player for them. I mean, she she could have been player of the match last year in last year's final right. as well. I know Carla Rowe got it, but she was she was terrific in, in that, that match, and it, and it, and it was it was a it was a match for the for the, the experienced people. I mean, Nate Goldrick as well, yeah. holding the ball so well and getting up for, for, for the goal. I mean, Dublin had those players. It's it's it, it's interesting to remember, you know, they were they were kids and yes. they were losing all Ireland yeah. finals, but now, you know, they're 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 in control for this for this period. Well, that's just exactly I was just about to ask you that, Joanne. Like the they're we watched that team you know, grow and grow both, you know, physically, but also mentally. Like when, when you consider that this was a team that lost three All-Irelands uh, in a row to Cork, who who like gave up that, that insane lead uh, late on in whatever year that was. Was that uh, pick, pick a yeah, year? 15, yeah. yeah, well, pick a year, but there, there, there was a year when they were eight <laughs> or nine points up even. Um like to look at them now, they are they are what was what, what uh, Jurgen Klopp call it uh, monsters of mentality. Yeah. They, they are like they, that's what they are. Like they they they're like such a su- such a steadying force. Yeah, they are. Like, and I mean, as you said, going back to that loss against Cork. Like, I remember, you know, I remember it was a few months afterwards. I was doing an event for Vodafone, and Sinead Goldrick was working there, and she was the liaison officer at mm. the time. And I remember I said to her, like, you know, are you ever going to bounce back from that one? And I actually remember at that time. 
she had just said, you know, that um, it was tough, you know, that they didn't have the facilities at the time and AIG weren't putting in the money that they're putting in now. But mm. it just takes a team effort now. And a min- like, as you said, the mentality monsters just to kind of come through. And sure enough, then they lost again the year after and they lost again the year after. And I remember just thinking, Jesus, Portia Goldrick, like I was watching her, you know, and all I could hear was her in my head going, you know, it's just a mentality thing. It's just a mentality thing. And then lo and behold, they went out and they did it. And I think they've won the last like three finals in three very different ways. Like they crushed the life out of Mayo kind of the first time in 2017. Then they kind of went on a massive scoring rally um, against Cork. Um, and, you know, they were very lucky like that uh, Anya O'Sullivan actually last year mm. missed her goal because that was going to call in Dublin's mentality again. And then this year now they won so they won dirty, you know I mean? They won in in a way that isn't really seen in kind of ladies football. You know, they just they just grounded out. They broke all the way down. Um, and, you know, even a low scoring matter. So they've won three finals now in three very different ways and they've even lost three finals in three very different ways so I think they'll be they'll be absolutely flying now coming into it and that's something as well for the younger girls to kind of look at you know um, kind of coming through you know a lot of the young girls from Fox Rock Clontarf um, and different places like that now they can see that this Dublin team can win any way possible like if it's a shootout grand if you want to put 15 uh, girls behind the ball even better we'll, we'll outscore you as well so yeah they've just they've just shown I suppose just just how strong they are as a team, how much they've come together as a team. I suppose we saw when Blues, uh, the Blue Sisters was released, um, but I think this is definitely going to cement their bond um, and their, their mental strength for a bit longer. Jesus, Joanne, remind me never to have a big uh, soul-crushing disappointment and then meet you at a Vodafone gig uh, soon after. <laughs> you know, are you ever going to come back from it? Jesus I'm Christ. Could, could you not, see, could like, you not send gonna, it nicer to her? It was like the most passive way I think I could have ever said it. <laughs> then, you know, my brother Stephen was there and he was like, Jesus, easy to know. We've won her 10 All-Irelands there in a row. Jesus. And I think we were just crushing her bit by bit as, as we carried on. And I think she was actually late for training as well because of us, he kept talking to her. So Jeez. sorry, Sinead, and I'm glad you got your All-Irelands <laughs> <laughs> well, you well, careful what you wish for now. They're, they're going to keep winning. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's going to be like the bloody men's game now where you're just standing there now. We need like a, you know, a Ewan McKenna now or someone like that to come Don't. out and write an article. <laughs> Enough for you. No, 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 no. God's sake. I won't have that man's name mentioned in my podcast. <laughs> anyway, listen, Joanne, thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks very much for having me again. Take care of yourself and Thanks. we'll see you around. Enjoy. Love, Joanna. Yeah, an absolute ray of sunshine on a, what a horrible trend. morning. Uh, so that was the women's final. We're, later on, we're going to talk to Gavin Komsky from uh, Japan. He's over there. And uh, we're going to start our rugby coverage, which will be continuing later in the week. Uh, people should know we're going to do a Thursday podcast uh, all the way through the Rugby World Cup. So we'll have Gavin and Jerry on on Thursday. Uh, but before all that, we'll talk about the men's final on Saturday night. Sean has stayed on, is in studio with us. And Keith Duggan is on the phone. How are you, Keith? How is all doing? We're doing good. Keith, we'll, I guess we'll, we may as well start with you. Um, what did you make of it ultimately on Saturday night? Uh, I... I I remember thinking at half time it, this this could be the greatest game I've ever been at. Uh, yeah. But Dublin have a have have a way of uh de-romanticizing these things. Yeah, yeah, the first half was it was really extraordinary, wasn't it? Mm. It was as if uh it seemed to me that both Jim Gavin and Peter Keane decided whatever happens we're going to make the other crowd score from play mm. and both sets of forwards responded. Just one, you know, one one point seemed better than the uh, than the previous score. The, it, it was just it was just brilliant to watch uh, from from the very first whistle. And um, so yeah, ten each at half time. Um, I I kind of felt that Kerry had sort of 
that they'd figured Dublin to a degree at that point, that they were forcing Dublin to do what they no longer like to do, which is uh, score spectacular points. Um, but then that goal and the quick point afterwards, just after half time, from that point on, I really felt that Dublin just took a grip on the game and never really let it go. And that they were just, it was sort of, they weren't toying with, but it was sort of tantalizing for Kerry. They were just that, oh, you know, just, just a little bit out of reach uh, for, for, for the remainder of the game, I felt. And, the, you know, their decision making became clearer and cooler mm. over the last 15 to 20 minutes where I just felt that Kerry seemed to lose their kind of collective thought process to a degree and just looked a little bit young all of a sudden. Sean, that decision making that Keith mentions there was kind of reflected in some of the chances that Kerry left go begging in the second half. They ended up with 10 wides and then you have Dublin on the flip side of it not hitting a wide at all until the 43rd minute. They were very, very clinical from start to finish really, weren't they? They were, although they did drop three short in the first half, which, you know, in terms of a match like that, is almost a worse sin than uh, putting them wide when you see some of the damage that's flowed from keepers catching points, dropping short. But yeah, they, they, were, they were very good. And I, would, I, I agree with the point that was made that at half time you almost felt that Kerry were the happier side. They, they'd weathered the storm early on and come back into it and they were level going in at half time. But the... The goal really broke it open in the sense that that quick 1-1 meant that when Kerry found that response, and it was impressive, it pulled it back to, to a point, but they were playing catch-up rather than stretching Dublin at that point. And uh, it just made it tricky for them. And it got to the end of the final quarter with three points in it. Stephen O'Brien is the goal chance. Um, it doesn't happen. Cluxton does well. And for the final quarter, there was that sense of inevitability about it. And it, it enabled Dublin to go into their routines as well, yeah. of protecting the, the lead and probing. And I think, not to be facetious about it, but the big difference in a way was the Dublin at 15, because they, they could pl play that game far more easily, the possession game. I mean, there was a, there was a, pa there was a phase that went on for nearly three minutes, three minutes where yeah. they where they held on mm -hmm. to the ball. And it's two two functions. Obviously, they're probing for an opening and trying to get a shooter into space and good position. But it also, it just takes the temperature out of the game mm. for a while. And if you're undergoing a little bit of a momentum reverse, which they were at periods in the, in the mm. even in the third quarter, um, it's helpful to be able to, to do that. But I do think that in fairness to Kerry and they're probably sick of people saying, oh, you know, they surely win all Ireland's now because I suppose nothing's guaranteed. But it took Dublin's best performance in, in a, a final, final mm. really, this decade. I wouldn't say it's Dublin's best team of, of the decade, but it was their best performance in a final um, to put away that Kerry side who, who just were, I felt, really uh, impressive in the first half because, you know, you go five to points to one down and... It looks like it's all going against you for, for for a young team, but they're so talented and they can get scores so easily when they're on song. That uh, it was fascinating stuff in in the first half. But it, I agree, you know, it, it seeped away from them in the second half. The early scoring from from Dublin meant that they were chasing rather than dictating. I'm curious about that three minutes that uh, Sean mentions there mm. of Dublin keeping possession and actually now crucially. 
ending it with a score, which was um, a vital part of it. But I've seen some people say, oh, this is amazing game management. Look at this, look at the skill. And then other people slightly bemoaning it as being the equivalent of of basketball if there wasn't a backcourt mm. rule, you know. Uh, how would you interpret it? Other people being you. Other people being people <laughs> that I watch the game with. Uh, no, I and I, I, I fundamentally take that point. Uh, Sean, uh, you put your finger on it. Uh, very very precisely there um, even though you were saying you didn't want to be facetious uh, the fact that Dublin were playing with 15 against 15 uh, made that slight difference in that they couldn't do that that three minute hold the ball with 14 against 15 the last day uh, because there was all there would be a Kerry player that could have pushed further forward. The reason they were able to hold on to it for so long and keep kicking it backwards to a spare man was that Paul Murphy was standing, guarding the 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 edge of the D and not moving out from it. So Dublin always had that extra man, and that whole sequence ended with a point. Actually, for all their control, quite fortunately, because when Brian Fenton made the 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 sort of incisive thrust into the D Stephen O'Brien actually got in from behind him and got a tackle in and the ball did squirt loose problem was he wasn't able to knock it to a carry player or he wasn't able to gather it himself and the the point came from I think it was Mannion that the, 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 it was Mannion that, that, that finished it off so the, the interesting thing about that specific sort of uh, uh, passage of play was that I thought Kerry were whether they were happy or not, that was precisely what Kerry wanted from that passage of play. They wanted to keep Dublin out from their goal. They wanted them to not create a goal chance and they wanted, when they came into the D, they wanted to get a tackle in and they got their tackle in. They just didn't get the ball and Mannion got onto the scraps and and finished it off. Uh, Yeah, I, I totally see both sides of that. It is really impressive. It's an impressive sort of um, signifier of how, what a well-drilled team Dublin are and have become. I mean, that is such practiced uh, lines of running and um, ways of making decisions, in-game decisions that they have practiced over and over and over in game after game after game that basically you can trace it all the way back to the last time and the only time Jim Gavin was defeated as Dublin manager in championship, the, they changed the way that they had to play because teams were playing blanket defences against them. And so they found that this this was their response, to work out how to hold on to the ball long enough and allow a chance to present itself. So that you're absolutely right. That is impressive. Um, but it is also... It can, it can be dull to watch. There's no no doubt about it. And it, w- it was a really interesting game in that it was so different to the first day. The high pressing on both sides on, on the opposition kickout was just gone. Like, I, 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 I think the stats were uh, Shane Ryan didn't miss a kickout and Cluxton only missed two, one of which he put out over the, the sideline. So that level of sort of bravery or that level of of making a go, you know, pushing up, pushing up, pushing up, that went and it was still a really compelling game. I um, know I know, Kerry people were disappointed to an extent with mm. that, uh, but I interpreted it differently. I thought Kerry 
felt so confident after the, the drawn match. They yeah. thought we, we no longer need this, you know, to roll the dice to we this extent. The, the we really don't need to be kind tariff, of, yeah, yeah, to be taking this sort of risk. You know, we'll play it on, on more conventional terms. Uh, Should they not have switched to the high risk, though, say when they were trailing by a goal with 20 minutes to go? Yeah, perhaps. But I, I think it's it's difficult in those circumstances to, um, you know, take that decision when you're you're just about hanging on on the scoreboard and you're thinking to yourself, you know, if this one if this one goes wrong, well then the game the game is over. Uh, I I thought they were, uh, you know, I I I I felt that they kept it going until the end of the third quarter and it began to, to fall away because we could see that the the subs had done so well the first day didn't do so well uh, on on Saturday and uh, I was laughing at one point because he, the, their Kerry fans were exhibiting a lot of displeasure over the over over the keep ball but. You know, like the the Donegal match in in, in uh, twenty uh, eighteen, the the fact was like Kerry had forty men behind the ball yeah. when this was going on. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know, like there's, Who very, are they there's a very simple way of uh, <laughs> disrupting this if you want to push up. Keith, um, where are we with, with Dublin? I, I, I guess we can only talk about the game for so long uh, until before we have to kind of move on to places in history and all of that sort of stuff. Did did. Did you get a sense there on Saturday night that of the of the history around this? Because I know that 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 we were sort of uh, desperately throwing five in a row questions at Jim Gavin and at players down at the bus and and going, you know, do you, does this feel different? I guess it's worth uh, throwing the question back on back on ourselves. Like, did you feel it felt any different? Not really. I mean, in a sense, it was anticlimactic for the reasons that you've just been speaking about for the past few moments. There was no... Once um, once O'Brien's goal chance uh, dissipated, just something left the stadium. It, mm. it seemed to me it felt like a kind of a resignation settled in, you know, and Dublin more or less knew that they could see it out, barring some catastrophe, and they don't really entertain catastrophe. So, you know, you kind of knew over the over the... In comparison to the drawing game, when it was absolutely riveting throughout injury time, you sort of felt that it was a done deal. Um, so you had time to get used to the thing. And I'm sure for Dublin fans and, and the Dublin team, it must have been an extraordinary f- moment to, to, to know that, you know, you've you, you've done this thing. But at the same time, it's a, you know, ha, had a team done five in a row in the 1950s, then six in a row would be the, the thing. And... You know, you heard, I think it was Brian Howard talking about six in a row, seven in a row. They don't want to entertain the idea that anything is finished here. No. You know, they want to keep on pushing this thing to see how far uh, it'll take them. So I think maybe when they were, even when they were speaking to, to journalists afterwards, that was probably at the back of their minds that, you know, obviously there's going to be a few retirements, I imagine, but for the majority of the group, nothing nothing is finished. Um, but just to go back to, you know, what what you were speaking about a few moments ago with the uh, with, with 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 the keep ball thing, which 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 Dublin are masters at. Like I think you're right. I think they really. I think those are the points that they take the most pleasure in. I think in the first half, Paul Mannion, one of his scores, it, they handled there was thirteen different possessions, and he had, he he handled the ball three times, and then and then kicked a point, and 
I think they really take an awful lot of, um, you know, enjoyment out of those scores in which they're making the defense work and they're making good decisions and everyone's getting involved. And it doesn't really matter who gets the final score as long as they've worked the ball into, you know, the optimum position and all of that. And it's it's what it's what it's kind of what they've what they've become now. You know, Jack McCaffrey won three the last day. Someone else like Kieran Kilkenny and mm. Conor Callahan, you know, the next day, just someone steps up and it doesn't really matter. But in terms of where the game goes, it seems to me that there's two things that 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 they need to change about Gaelic football, and one is that keep ball thing. Like it's very simply done. You know, Pat was Pat was mentioning basketball earlier. They've had to improvise for those very reasons. Years ago, teams were keeping the ball for four and five minutes. So you just bring in a clock rule or you just bring in a rule whereby once the ball crosses the halfway line, you can't really uh, take it back across it again. So, um, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what they do to try and, uh, to try and deal with that mm. because Dublin are right to do it. Yeah, I think as well it's, it's worth making the point that this was Dublin's specific strategy to cope mm. with teams playing blanket defence on them. Yeah. In other words, uh, if you yeah. won't, if you won't come out to, to we contest, mm. we'll hold on to the ball. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, as is often the case in in sports, one tactical innovation le- leads to another, mm. and uh, how you address it is, is is complicated. But there are probably strategies that can be used to. To address you know both of those mm. th- those situations, but uh, it struck me at, at the time that it's a bit like watching a, a soccer match, you know, sort of a, a, a bit, continental yeah. soccer match yeah. where the ball has been yeah. swept on from one day. side to yeah. another, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and no apparent movement yeah. forward yeah. until you know a, a gap appears. But uh, it's certainly it's a long way from catch and kick and man on man contests around the field. Uh, on um, on the wider things, Sean, like you're. Uh, foremost historian of the game or well certainly in this office anyway we'll give you that um what 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 achievement is this how how big an achievement is the five in a row well it's clearly an achievement because it's never been done before mm. i mean there's been a lot of talk in, in the lead up to it about what exactly it signifies um it signifies a couple of things it it signifies that a team has been in a dominant position in a, in, a, in a sport and you know the four in a rows have have happened um, on I think five previous mm. occasions between football and hurling, and the, the team has never quite got the five over the line. They were very dominant uh, teams, so it, it's a sign of that. Um, it's not always a popular sign within the the, the game. I mean, as the, the point has been made that you know competition thrives on competition, and mm. and the and not knowing who's likely to win in a, in any given year. What's interesting about Dublin is that in the sequence that they've now established, it's really, it's it, if you compare it with other teams in that situation, the, the, the All-Ireland's been really hard won. I mean, this year, okay, six points is as much as they've won an All-Ireland mm. by, but it was after a replay. Mm. Um, last year, possibly, was, was probably the one that uh, taxed them yeah. least. But, you know, the other's like a point here, a point there, a point after a, after a replay. Uh it has been actually hugely competitive at the at the sharp end, mm. but with the same with the same outcome. Um, I think I I'm not sure it's going to you know the it's it's either going to extend. Uh, there's so many imponderables at the moment. I mean, what's the Dublin management going to do? Um, we know a lot of players are probably likely to, to go away, which 
mightn't rob the first team as much, but certainly affects the the bench options. So, you know, we, we'll see. But I think it's it's terrific to be able to do it because when you think of a team as talented as as Mick O'Dwyer's Kerry team, and also as dominant as they were for a long time, uh, they weren't able to get it over over the line. Um, and what's what's interesting is that even in the era of the qualifier, uh, th- there hasn't been a need for for a second chance um, for for Dublin um, or interestingly Kerry. This is a decade where Dublin and Kerry have played more than any other decade, six times in championship. And not one of those has been in what you might call a backdoor context. They've been champions of their province on on all of those occasions. So uh, I I, I think it's a, I mean, it's 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 a terrific achievement because in any era, it was going to be difficult to put that sort of a run together mm. because you're always capable of being tripped up and you can see from the margins in their in their finals and, and some of their semi-finals that uh, you know that, that the possibility of defeat was there on, on on a number of occasions and I think that's probably the legacy or the not the legacy but the, the style of their their wins has been how indomitable they've been in the end game that you know you take you, you take them on going down the stretch and people had said about Kerry if they can get they can get level in the last 10 minutes and that. But the last 10 minutes, I mean, That's the last 10 minutes live. with 14 men mm. and, and, they were, and they were knackered last mm. la, in, the, in the drawn match, they still controlled it. Mm. So, you know, that, I mean, that has been I- impressive, how hard they've been to beat when the whole thing is on the line. Mm. Keith, one of Jim Gavin's great achievements over the last couple of years has been sort of constantly pruning at the team to make it younger and make it more modern almost, if you like. But one of the the constant through it all has been Stephen Cluxton, who, like a lot of the guys that we're pondering might possibly retire at the at the end of this season, are on the bench. Whereas Cluxton is like arguably the fulcrum of the team. If he retires, um, how difficult will he be to replace? And also, what's been his impact on, on the sport for the last 10 years? Um, well, I... He'll be hugely difficult to replace, won't he? Although it has to be said, you know, the few glimpses we've had of Evan Comerford playing for Dublin, mm. he's looked terrific as well, has he not? And um, so it remains to be seen what what he will become, assuming it is him that that that, that succeeds Cluxton as, as as number one eventually. And um, that said, I mean, there's some kind of timeless and ages about Cluxton, isn't he? I'm not sure. What is he? Thirty seven. Thirty eight. Thirty eight. I, yeah. I mean. You know, he sort of doesn't really change at all. Mm. Uh, comes back looking the exact same every single year. So, <laughs> literally of, looking exactly the same. Like he, he doesn't look like he's aged since he was about twenty-two. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> haircuts the exact same. Demeanor is the very same. There's no visible change in his athleticism. So I don't know. Um, maybe he'll be there for the next ten years. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe we're, Keith, we're reading, or certainly maybe I'm reading a lot into his sort of lap of honor the other night. Uh, like he, he let the the rest of the 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 Dublin squad run down to the hill. He didn't run down to the hill, and he more or less walked forty yards behind them, doing his own wave to the crowd all the way around. Which, maybe which you never really see in him. No. No, and, that's true. And he had his kid on the pitch and all that sort of stuff. It, it looked, uh, I don't know. You, so you, you, you have a sense he might... I don't know. I like, no, who, who can who can tell? But like, he, he just, maybe now, and maybe just the, maybe the idea of the five in a row meant an awful lot to him or something like that. Sure. But it, it he looked, in as much as you can guess at these things at all, it, it, 
I wouldn't be surprised if that was him sort of waving goodbye. Yeah, I mean, and look, he's had, like, he has been through the full run of um, experience for, mm. for Dublin. I mean, I can't remember the year it was against Armagh when he had that awful championship experience. Oh, 2003. 03, yeah. Was that 03? Yeah. Like, to, <laughs> that's a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, he's just he, he's just been there through the entire sort of, you know, re reconditioning of, of of Dublin GAA to what it's become and he's been at the he's been at the heart of that and he's obviously changed uh the possibilities uh of of, of what a what a goal what we what we knew a goalkeeper to be back then which was you know a shot stopper and a guy to you know mm. basically lamp it down the field um like his the, the number of the number of goalkeepers out there now who are just brilliant at kicking the ball out I wonder would that have happened uh, had he not had he not uh, led the uh, no I I, I agree with that Keith because I think that uh, it's like any innovation it begets kind of imitators but certainly people want to emulate us I mean this occurred in the middle of the last decade when when Shane Ryan and Kieran Whelan were the Dublin centre field and they used to kind of break to the wings and he'd kick the ball out to them before you know uh, that sort of thing was was commonplace in in the game and you could see how it was kind of guaranteeing Dublin kick out possession I remember talking to Brian Talty um, about uh, Stephen Cluxon in his early earlier years that he used to practice the accuracy of his kickouts by trying to Hit the post from <laughs> from 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 place kicks. That's in other words, trying to hit the post. That's what eventually uh, one of the great uh, penny dropping moments came when someone said, "Well, if he can hit the post, surely he could put them between them as well." <laughs> <laughs> so he was used for the long range freeze very productively for for, for for a number of years. But yeah, definitely has um, uh, and, and I think as well. I mean, his 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 personality has driven the team too. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're. Yeah. They are extraordinarily low-key and sort of um, measured in in how they've responded to this to this run of success. They've never really been guilty of saying anything that could, even if you wanted to, get under your skin. Uh, certainly not. Well, considering that Jack McCaffrey, uh, in the midst of a fantastic uh, 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 whatever Sunday morning newspaper interview yesterday. Uh, which is worth reading wherever, whatever papers you want to get today. He's, he's in great form. But one of the things he does say is that uh, at one stage uh, he was offered a sponsorship thing. Uh, the you know one of the one of the gigs that you know you come and talk to the media and get a few quid for. And his dad, uh, Noel McCaffrey, who played for Dublin in the eighties, says, "I'll pay you whatever they're paying you not to talk to the media." <laughs> so Jesus Christ, that's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. <laughs> Jack McCaffrey, possibly the most enlightened and engaging footballer in the in the bleeding country, and his dad's paying him not to talk to us. Anyway, well, look, he spoke to him. He spoke to us yesterday, did he not? So. He did. Yeah. Find yeah. out how much the father's paying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll double it. Uh, Keith, thank you very much. Uh, thanks a lot, Keith. and thank you, Sean, and thank you, lads. And we will uh, not. I swear, not talk to you again until well, until we're desperate. All right. Cheers. We will finish today, Pat, with our first trip to Japan. Uh, Gavin Komiski is there. Gavin, how are you? Konnichiwa. Look at you. Have you picked up any, anything more than that? No, I have two words, konnichiwa and arigato. And it's, um, Both of which you knew before you left. Uh, yeah, I actually forgot uh, hello and said goodbye <laughs> to someone there the other day when I was meeting them. Like So, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I 
it's I need to improve because the people out in the uh, out in the greater metropolis of Tokyo don't speak that much English. It's a long tournament, Gavin. We don't need you know Ireland have done uh, an awful lot of going to these tournaments and being good early on and fading towards the end. So you know you'll be by quarterfinal time you'll be right up to date. Yeah, I should be okay. <laughs> uh, how are things going out there? Uh, tell us, uh, bring us news. Bring us uh, uh, news uh, from the Ireland camp, first of all. Okay, yeah. Well, news from the Ireland camp are billeted out in um, Chiba, which is um, the worst place on earth. Uh, <laughs> <where it's, laughs> it is. Um, it's uh, just. A, it's just a shopping centre and like a, an empty beach. And it was the whole. The plan was to get them out there in the out in a lot of countries. A lot of teams are in the middle of nowhere, so they can do their first week prep without any kind of interruptions. But Robbie Henshaw did his hamstring in training, as the world knows by now. And what does that mean Greg, exactly? What, what does did uh, his hamstring mean? The best is well, okay, you can guess. Let me explain how the Ireland management are handling this so far. Joe Schmidt had to do a, a press conference yesterday because every head coach has to do an introductory one. And he said, can't tell you anything because we're doing a scan in four hours, which meant that he knew that for 27 hours there would be no information from the Irish management about the scan. So Greg Feet came up to the media this morning then and said and did the same thing. He goes, he actually what exactly what he said was, um, we're not telling you, basically. He mm. goes, um, it's looking reasonably positive. What they do, what they are doing is, it's basically a grade one or grade two tear. And we, I can infer that from the fact that they're not sending him home. They pulled Will, uh, they pulled Will Addison from the Ulster game mm. and they're not, but they're not bringing him out. Um, so a lot of teams have done this like Brody Vitalik's not going to be fit from a shoulder damage until the World Cup quarterfinal you keep your best players because the tournament's so long so let's say Henshaw can't play rugby for a, for a month that's still going to probably that still gives him time to face possibly Russia and even if not that definitely Samoa um, and that's another eight days then before a World Cup quarterfinal mm. so they're happy enough with their centres um, to not have to bring someone else out and they have, they have enough they, they consider him valuable enough that um, either Chris Farrell or Ringrose will carry the can until later in the tournament What happens with Will Addison does he like wait near an airport for the next few weeks or, or is he allowed, no, so, is he going to be allowed to play again? Yeah, I'm, at, I'm actually at just a press conference here on a, a, just a kind of a briefing on anti-doping and refereeing. And a co- I was just talking to Alain Roland, who's head of World Rugby's refereeing. And I was asking a few of the guys from World Rugby, what's the story with bringing out extra players and not attaching them to the squads? And they said that that was a regular occurrence in 2015, kind of middle of the pool stages and once the knockout stages start, when a, a guy goes down, but they're not sure if he can make it back or not. A lot of basically the, the wealthy nations started bringing out players, putting them in hotels, but you can't train with the teams so there's no need for it now because it's so early and also because they have 30 fit players but it will start to happen you will see it happening in the next um, in the next couple of weeks but right now they don't need to do it presumably though Addison plays for Ulster in the meantime like they can't have him sitting around not playing any rugby and then have to call him out Mm, yeah, they pulled him um, from the Ulster game. Schmidt explained this. They pulled him from the Ulster game the other night because they weren't sure how bad right. the hamstring, Henshaw's hamstring was. They were not sure if they were about to have to throw him on a plane. So they didn't want him to go on the pitch, image himself, damage himself again. And then they're really kind of scrambling around for a player of top quality, you know. Mm. Um, I see in Jerry's uh, piece this morning that uh, Joey Carberry is expected to be on the bench on the weekend. Yeah, so they're they're hinting that um, Carberry's fine. They're a bit sketchy on Keith Earls, um, so I wouldn't I, I wouldn't at the moment be expecting to see Keith Earls back. 
Um, Henshaw, we know, is not, we're not going to see him for a while. Um, but the the real upshot is uh, Carberry looks like he should be okay. If they don't use him this week, he will make an appearance. Um, like he's the ankle is is healing, so he's close to being like he's playing rugby now. So he is, so they'll, he's definitely going to mix up his teams from Scotland. He's mm. going to pick teams. He's going to tailor to beat Scotland and Japan. So Carberry will feature, I think, significantly in the Japanese game. What would your prediction for the team be, uh, Gavin, if, if he is tailoring it? For, like, he, you say he's tailoring, but he's also going to play his, his full-strength team or as close as we have to it. Yeah, but what I mean by tailoring is um, Schmidt's full-strength team just differs from game to game. Like, there's about, uh, there's about 18 players that are kind of his full-strength team, you know what I mean? And he'll, he'll, he'll mix and match. Like, there'll be, a, there'll be tweaks and there'll be a slight change in the second row. Either a Klein or a Henderson will start or, not, or finish. Um, it would have been, it was all shaping up to be, we were kind of reading between the lines and Schmidt kind of chided the media. We were all saying that ring rows would come off the bench or it was definitely going to be Henshaw and Aki. And, and Schmidt said, oh, I read, uh, read a few reports there saying that my team had been picked. And he goes, you guys must know more than me. So, um, but it, it did, it did really look like that. We're working off the evidence because he never tells us anything. So, mm. um, the, uh, it did look like that. But now, even though Chris Farrell did media today, I, now you'd really be surprised if, like, if it wasn't Ring Rose at thirteen, and the rest of the team. I'm sure even you, Packet, rattle it off to me. Oh, uh, no, I, I think it's, it's a fair, it's a fair cop. I, I, I'd get there, but I, I would struggle with the second row. Oh, you, no, I, I'm just saying what, why he directed that at you and not me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're far, far further along than I would be. <laughs> Let's not get there. I'm not having a go at either. Of you. It's fine, Gavin. It's fine. You do you expect Klein to play? Um, look, it's he's going to feature significantly in the pool stages for Ireland. Uh, whether it's um, I think he doesn't really, you don't really feel like the kind of guy that you bring off a bench, though, you know. So whether it's um, I could see him being the guy who starts as the tight head lock um, against Japan because like the blueprint is laid out by South Africa a couple of weeks ago. But what you do to Japan, bigger, stronger, and just overpower them. Like their big guy, we have Luke Thompson, who we interview in the magazine with him. Is their big tight head lock, and he's six five. He's not. He's a Kiwi that naturalized in Japan. He's not like a big lock in global terms. Yet he's their big enforcer, and uh, like he's he's not. He's he's only like six five, and uh, you know he's a, he's a big lad. But so I think Ireland will go big, big against Japan in the pack and. Hope like the things are changing now a little bit though as well because all this talk about humidity and heat and their Indian summer thing is not really materialised. It's lashing rain here today. There's no humidity, um, um, like so that's not going to be a case. It looks like it's going to be kind of a Six Nations type weather come the weekend for Ireland Scotland. So go figure on that one. But you can kind of pick the teams. Klein, I, I don't know honestly, but where he's, you're going to see a fair bit of them. Uh, tell us about Japan. How are you settling in? Um, it's great. It's great. It, I've been coming in and out of, um, as much as I can, I've been going in and out of uh, Tokyo. Because mm. uh, Tokyo, just, it's just, I was here two years ago with the Ireland team and it was like fantastic. Like, and so every chance I get, you jump on the train. You take two trains, it takes about an hour and 20 minutes to get in from Chiba. And you don't really want to go back, obviously, because <laughs> Chiba's, Chiba's not, the, not the best, you know. Um, but 
there's so much happening. I don't know. You said, there's a, you said there's a shopping centre on a beach with nobody on it. I don't know what much more you want from life. Yeah. Well, look, uh, uh, not to be complaining, I have been in Tokyo. I'm in Tokyo right now as I'm speaking to you, and I'll hang around. I'll pick up my accreditation from the stadium where the finals are, which is like the far, far east. I went out to the Japanese hotel the other day, and it was um, palatial. Doesn't even cover it. Mm. It's the best five star hotel I've walked in of all the five star <laughs> hotels where all the teams are staying in. You and know? you've been in a few. Uh, yeah, yeah. They accidentally, I went in and asked them where I was late and I was like, I need the Japanese media room. And this really polite lady in the lobby who uh, just saw me like being a big exasperated and I was being a bit rude and she was like, she thought I said, I need the Japanese meeting room. And she sent me up to the 16th floor where like Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph, the Japanese coaches <laughs> were having a meeting and uh, they nearly sent me into the room. Like, so, um, they're uh, they're unbelievably polite, but we move to uh, everyone. The Irish team moves to Yokohama on Wednesday, and that's when it really just becomes comes. Uh, everyone can't wait for games, to be honest, mm. you know. And like just and the games that come this weekend are just like top drawer. I'm I'm covering France, uh, Argentina as well, and even Japan, Russia. The opening game is just going to be so interesting mm. because there's, there's just this enormous pressure on the hosts now to um like to wipe the floor with Russia, which they probably will. But also more importantly, there's enormous pressure on them to get to a quarter final. So even they really feel like that their first chance at that is to is to take the Irish Cup. I'd mm. be amazed if it happened. I really do think they have a chance against Scotland, but. There's um like if they don't win the World Cup kind of the atmosphere kind of changes a bit because there's so many things here. It's sumo season and there's baseball and like rugby really is far down the pecking order of things that young people in Japan want to do. So they need to win to get everyone on board, well, which makes it interesting this weekend. Yeah, because I kind of figured that. I, I kind of figured that it would be at most a sort of a curiosity in a country like Japan. Yeah, so you're in the middle of uh, Shinjutsu or whatever yesterday and you look up and around and there's no evidence that the World Cup's on except for up the top of one of the billboards. There is a, a giant-sized picture of Michael Hooper and a couple of the Wallabies, you know. But there's so many bright lights and so many other things around that your gaze doesn't get stuck on it for too long. So, um, yeah, they, uh, if they do start to win, the, the like, for example, is the thing is, though, Japanese people love going to things and love attending things. Right. Like there was a kind of a Comic-Con thing on the other day uh, outside our hotel and there was a queue for like as far as the eye could see. 15,000 of them showed up. It's 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 a national holiday for be nice to old people or something today in Japan. It's a bank holiday and 15,000 elderly people turned up at Japanese or at the Welsh training session. <laughs> so they will... They, <laughs> Yeah, there was eight. There was eight thousand at the All Blacks the other day. Like they do, there is. They do show up and wave their flags, and they love going to stuff and attending things. Noticeably, I thought you see people coming out of the baseball stadiums, and they're all sober. I couldn't believe it. Like there was like <laughs> thousands, thousands of people like streaming out of this baseball ground, and there was no booze and no cans, and there was no rubbish, and um, it's it's a completely different society from what we're used to. Uh, presumably, Joe Schmidt isn't letting thirty thousand uh, old Japanese people into watch Ireland train. Joe Schmidt's not, not letting anyone besides the info, the info photographers into it. Um, I'm sure they'll have a few guests and things like that, but um, no, uh, he's keeping it as private as he always has. You know how he does his business. I do. Awesome. Listen, we will talk to you and Jerry on Thursday uh, ahead of the Scotland game. We'll dig into it more then. Uh, thanks a million, Great. All right, take it easy, lads. Cheers. Good luck. Uh, and thanks to Joanna Reardon, who we had on earlier, and Sean and Keith, who we had on talking about the All Ireland final. Uh, thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Mark. Thanks to Jenny and Declan behind the glass, and we will see everybody next week. Cheers, folks.